Well, hello and welcome to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. I'm John Stillman alongside Joel Johnson, certified financial planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. You've seen him published in Forbes and the Hartford Business Journal. And as the host of Better Money on WFSB Channel 3 on the Saturday and Sunday morning news with Kara Sundlin, he's here to share his money wisdom with us today. Joel, a fun fact to start out today's show little history lesson for you. It was 71 years ago, almost to the day, November 3rd, 1948. The Chicago Tribune ran the famous Dewey defeats Truman headline, which of course turned out to be, I don't know, maybe this was the very first instance of fake news. Yeah. uh, Unintentionally fake, obviously, but yeah, sure. I mean, and think about back then, because we just had this happen in the 2016 election, right? There were a lot of calls that Clinton had won when, in fact, uh, Donald Trump had really won, and, and a lot of uh, networks had called uh, Clinton to win. Yeah, well, all the exit the polls evening. looked like she was going to win in a landslide, so a lot of people just ran with that. Yeah, yeah, and but back then, think about it. Back then, in 1948, there wasn't the technology they have now. You know, it was uh, it was telephones and reporters on the ground, and um, they certainly didn't have email and so on. So. Uh, it just goes to show that, uh, you know, this will happen from time to time. And, and a lot of predictions end up being wrong, right? Not just presidential elections, but a lot of things with economists. You know, we have all those, all these little uh, things like, well, in the third year of a presidential election or a presidential term, the market always goes up or the market always goes down when X, Y, Z happens. And usually these things are wrong over the long term, uh, enough to get us into trouble if we bank on them. And hey, even the wisdom of reporters all around the world and massive organizations like Reuters and Bloomberg and and the AP can get things wrong from time to time. Well, today, Joe, we're going to start out by talking about are these things real or not? I'm going to give you a situation. You tell me if it's based on reality or if it's just a fictitious thing that maybe happens in the movies or that you read about but doesn't actually happen to real people. Uh, So the first thing is, The family members gathering in a big room to read the will to find out who's inheriting what. Is that real or not? (laughs) As far as I'm aware, I don't know anybody that's actually participated in such an event. But that's exactly how it goes in every single movie. It sure does. In fact, there's even that show Succession on TV, which I'm sure at some point they'll have... uh, They'll have some kind of a reading of the will ceremony. But, yeah, this this doesn't really happen. I mean, typically somebody passes away and whoever's handling the estate, the executor of the estate, consults the will and um, follows the directions of the will. And if there's a trust, the trustee follows the directions of the trust. So, yeah, this getting around for the reading of the will does not happen. And so uh, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. It's pretty pretty funny that we see those depictions on TV, this big dramatic experience, right? People fly in from all over the world to see if <laughs> Uncle Bob yeah. left them, you know, their favorite car that Uncle Bob owned or something like that. Yep. Okay. So that's not real. How about this, Joel? People discovering an old investment account that they forgot they had. This actually does happen. We've seen this happen a few times. Now, uh, today what happens is usually the companies find you or they have to turn the money over to the state uh, which the which you used to live in. So you can have somebody, that, let's say they lived in Texas and now they live up here in Massachusetts or Connecticut and uh, they lost track of that account in Texas and the company couldn't find them 
Many times that account gets turned over to the state of Texas, and then when they discover uh, that they had that account, they have to go to the state, file the proper paperwork to get that money back. So this does happen from time to time, usually in a move uh, or something like that. And usually it's a smaller account because obviously if it was a big account, a significant amount of your net worth, you wouldn't forget about it. But this does happen more often than you think. Well, what if it was a small account when you lost track of it, but you lost track of it in, I don't know, 1991? Well, it's probably a big account now, right? Depending on how it's invested. Yeah. And this actually, there was actually a lawsuit brought a few years back because some of the life insurance companies, the big life insurance companies had lost track of where people lived. Um, and then these people had died and the life insurance companies were accused and found guilty of not working hard enough to find the beneficiaries. And some of these folks that had the life insurance policies died 20, 30, 40 years ago and the beneficiaries with compound interest got a ton of money. You know, it might have only been $5,000 40 years ago, but it ended up being $25,000, dollars $40,000. Then obviously there were some penalties involved. So uh, this can happen and um, it probably happens more than we think. All right. We're talking about are these situations real or not? How about kids in today's world working their way through college? Realistic or not? Uh, realistic. Yeah, it still happens. Uh, as a matter of fact, we like to hire people here at Johnson Brunetti that work their way through college. There's a certain um, bias that we have towards kids that work their way through college, maybe had to work one or two jobs. We've got a few people working here now that work their way through college. And uh, I think there's a certain type of character that's built there. That doesn't mean that there's no character with people that don't have to work their way through college. It's certainly not as popular as it used to be, which is interesting because college is much more expensive uh, today than it used to be. But I think back 30, 40 years ago, a lot of people had to work during their college years and pay for part of their college. And I think the percentage overall is less now. At least that's my gut. I don't have any research to back that up. So some kids have to work their way through college. Some kids do not. Um, some kids should, and they don't, um, because I think it does build a lot of character. Well, I wonder if it being more expensive is the reason that fewer people do it. You know, if it seems more within reach, you say, all right, well, yeah, I could work my way through and graduate with no debt. But if you're going to pay $60,000 a year for college, well, that doesn't seem realistic for a 19-year-old to work their way through that. So they just say, oh, well, I'm just going to have loans. That's just the way it is. Well, that's true. But, you know, all my boys have worked, done something to, to earn at least spending money through their education. You know, one went uh, for a full scholarship from the military, um, but the others have worked during college, some at school, and that's what they have as their spending money. So they're not necessarily working to pay their tuition, but they're working 15, 20 hours a week. And I just think it's good. I think it builds character. All right. Is this real or not? Joel, people successfully timing the market. That is not real. Uh, very few people have been able to successfully time the market. Um, those big institutions that do successfully time the market, they don't do it as we think of timing the market, getting in and out at the right time. They build a program where they're hedged on both sides. So when the market moves a certain amount, they make money on one side of the trade, but not they don't lose as much on the other side and vice versa. But this timing the market very difficult. Very few people have ever been able to do it. I've never met somebody that's able to do it. And folks, if you're walking around there thinking um, you've done it successfully, chances are you got lucky. One of the things I heard a hedge fund manager say once is that when something happens and you hit a home run, you overestimate the amount of skill it took and you underestimate the amount of luck that you had just being in the right place at the right time. And wisdom is really understanding how much luck and chance play into 
a winning trade or a winning investment. And if you don't understand how much luck played into it, you will probably try it again and you'll make a mistake nine out of 10 times, eight out of 10 times and be really hurt. So what's the lesson there? If, if we say timing the market isn't realistic, do we just stay all in on the market forever? I mean, what's the takeaway lesson here? Well, what most of our clients want is they want to have a certain amount of market exposure, and this is what we recommend. Certain amount, it's different for, you know, different percentage per family. Um, some families might need a 20% market exposure. Others might need 70% market exposure. But they need to have enough market exposure to create the inflation hedge that equities, that investing in businesses creates, but at the same time not have so much that they get spooked and sell at the wrong time, which means for most of our clients, we're doing a mix between safe money that can't go down and money that's exposed to the market. When times are good, like right now, they'll do real well in the market. When times are bad, which they will be, and the market drops 20 or 30%, they can leave their market piece alone and live off their safe piece or at least have the peace of mind to not do the wrong thing at the wrong time. So the key is having the right exposure, the right mix, the right asset allocation, we call it in the business, where maybe you have 50% safe money, 50% stock market exposure, and so you won't be tempted to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. The biggest risk that you face as an investor is your own behavior. There is no question about that. The biggest risk you face is your own behavior. When things are going well, you feel like you're missing out and you make decisions based on that. When things are going poorly, you regret being in the market and you sell based on that. And you just make that mistake over and over and over again. Buying high, selling low. Buying high, selling low until broke. And so it's real important that you have the right mix of investments so that you are not tempted to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And what is the assurance that you have the right mix? It's doing a financial plan. It's knowing yourself, doing a financial plan. And a big part of what a financial advisor gets paid for is preventing you from doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, which is why algorithms and robo-advisors and some hipster in Silicon Valley that's built some kind of an investment program will never substitute for good, wise advice. Interesting. Okay, so last one in this category, Joel. Is this real or not? People retiring, but then going back to work because they realize they don't have enough money. We've seen this happen. Uh, there's no question that this has happened. And sometimes they go back to work in a combination of they realize they don't quite have enough money and they're bored. Um, but we definitely had, and I remember this back in 2000, 2001, 2002, when that market took that huge plunge, 50% from top to bottom. And then it happened again, 50% from top to bottom in 07 and 08. And people had to go back to work or people hadn't quite retired. They had decided, hey, I'm going to retire in 2010. And it was 2008 and the market went down and now they had to forego their retirement. So it absolutely happens, which is why, number one, you need a good retirement income analysis and a plan. And number two, you need to be preserving your portfolio, getting safer in your portfolio the closer you get to retirement. And if you are retired and you've already won the game of saving enough, don't keep playing a game that you've already won. This is where people get in trouble down at the casino. They win and they keep playing. Not to compare your retirement assets to gambling, but once you've already won the game, you've gotten to retirement, you've got enough money saved to do everything you want to do. Maybe you can even leave something to your kids and grandkids. Don't keep playing that game. Don't have too much market exposure because you may have to go back to work to support the lifestyle you want in retirement. 
So, Joel, if somebody doesn't have that plan in place, they don't know if they can retire or not. They don't know what kind of lifestyle they can have when they do retire. How do you help them find the answer to those questions? Well, and not just that, John, but if they have a plan in place and it needs to be checked up on, right? Maybe they need a second opinion. So we want to offer this to all of you listening right now. The Money Map is a system we have. It's a proprietary process we use. It's not just a map. It is a map with all your finances on one page, nice and easy to understand whether you're technical or not. But it's backed up by an income analysis and a risk analysis. We build that into a financial plan. And people hear financial plan, they go, oh, that's intimidating. I'm going to have this big plan. It doesn't have to be intimidating. The way we do it, it's simple. But you want to know if you're going to run out of money in retirement, how much risk should you be taking? Are you taking too much risk right now? And what rate of return do you need on your money? And then I believe you deserve to have it on one page where all your money is, where your income is coming from, your debts, your mortgage, and so on, so that you can have a discussion with your family members and everybody can understand what you're talking about. And that's what we do for you. We call it our money map process. So give us a call. Come on in. Get your money map. It's free. There's no obligation, but it is valuable. So give us a buzz right now for the people that call in the next 30 minutes. Uh, we'll schedule a time to visit with you. you. can come into our office, have a cup of coffee, sit down. We want to get to know you, and then we'll do this financial plan for you. It's very unique. We call it our money map. So call one 800 705-1232. Once again, call now, set up a visit, 1-800-705-1232. You'll be glad you set up a time to invest in your financial security. 800-705-1232 is that number to call or text if that's easier for you. 800-705-1232. Right now, just leave a message or text us. Let us know your first and last name. We'll reach back out to you later and figure out the details and find a time that fits your calendar for you to come in for your Money Map Retirement Review. Great opportunity if you're retired already or you're going to be retiring in the next five or 10 years and you want to be sure you have your ducks in a row. 800-705-1232. That's 800-705-1232. You're listening to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Joel is a certified financial planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. Joel, we're going to open the mailbag in just a moment and see what questions people have for you this week. Uh, One thing I did want to point out, though, I'm curious to hear your take on this. So WeWork, a lot of people have heard of WeWork. They were about to go public. Uh, Now, I don't know how long that might be delayed, but they had actually planned to lay off thousands of people, but they've had to delay those layoffs because they don't even have enough cash to cover all the severance payments that they'd owe in laying those people off. So that seems like a bad position to be in. This whole WeWork situation is just a disaster on so many points. And let me just back up and tell uh, our, our listeners what WeWork is. So WeWork is what's called rented workspace. So a company will go in, like WeWork, and rent an entire floor of an office building, let's say in Manhattan, And then they will turn around, and if I'm traveling in Manhattan, I need a place to work for a few days, uh, I can rent from them a workspace. And usually these places have a little cafe, they have an open area, or you have your own little offices you can go into and work. And, you know, 
there's a gentleman named Scott Galloway. He's the Stern uh, School of Business professor down at NYU. And he's been saying for a long term that the WeWork situation is just going to end really badly. If you figure out what they're valuing the real estate at, it's something like more than the value of the building for one floor. It's just insane the valuation this company was was carrying. Not only that, but you have an incredibly arrogant CEO. Like if you just go online and read about this guy, I think it's Adam Newman, I believe is his name. Just an arrogant person. Um, and, you know, the big investors kind of got their money out early before the IPO was going to go public. And, you know, they were basically going to foist this IPO on unsuspecting investors like you and I, once the big boy has got all their money out of the, of, of, of the uh, you know, before the initial public offering. And it's just a disaster. And so, you know, the moral of the story on WeWork is, you know, be real careful of buying IPOs. Uh, this one luckily got shut down before it came out. Um, the company is just a complete mess. They can't pay their employees severance. They're going to probably default on most of their leases. They've lost all credibility in the marketplace. And there will probably be lawsuits flying around for the next 10 or 20 years. Meanwhile, you know, the CEO of WeWork, who I, th- I think has been removed. I'm not sure if he's been removed or not. Probably ought to be, in my opinion, at least. But getting you know, paid running, billions to go away, basically. B- b- billions of dollars. It's It's insane. And this is all investor money. Now, Luckily, because it didn't go public, it's very sophisticated investors' money, big venture capital firms and so on. So, you know, they're supposed to know better. But this thing was just a disaster. And it makes me wonder, like, when these big firms that back companies like this, when they back these companies and the valuation gets all pumped up, is the plan really to just sell shares then to the public and to mutual funds and so on that are that are not necessarily sp- suspecting that the whole thing is built on a pyramid. It's really one of the disgusting things about Wall Street. And as you can tell, it gets me pretty worked up. So the bottom line is, you know what, if you don't understand a company, don't invest in it. And businesses should be making a profit, in my opinion, to invest in them. And there's a lot to be said about simple businesses that are easy to understand. You did get worked up. We're going to change the name from WeWork to Worked Up. Here on my uh, that's wisdom. that's actually a great idea. Maybe they can uh, maybe they can disguise the company, call it worked up, and try that initial public offering yeah. again someday. Round two. Okay, uh, opening up the mailbag. We're going to start today with Jake, who says my company makes contributions to my four hundred one k, but they'll only do it in the form of company stock. I don't want to have too much company stock, so I've just been selling it immediately and then investing it in something else. Any reason I shouldn't be doing that? I don't think there's any reason, Jake, that you shouldn't be doing that. Um, now, you do know a little bit more working inside your company than maybe somebody working outside the company. And I'm not talking about insider information. I'm just talking about getting a feel for the company and how they're doing and maybe the culture of the company that somebody can't really measure from an analyst report. But you've just decided not to invest in your company stock. And you know they're giving you company stock. And as soon as you can sell it, if you want to sell it, I think that's fine. Um, you're diversifying. Hopefully, you've got a good financial plan. You don't have too much at risk in the market. You don't have too much small company international. You've got a good blend there. Um, so I would encourage you to, if you haven't designed a plan with an advisor, to do that. Find a good advisor. Um, but I don't see a problem with you selling company stock quickly if you don't want to invest in that company. Most of the time, we see the opposite. We see people having too much faith in their company. Look at General Electric. You know, People thought, well, GE can't go down. I mean, what a what a train wreck that's become. Cutting the dividend twice, stock going from 38 at its high down to, what, 8 or 9 now. Um, so many retirees had their savings wiped out because they had so much faith in this iconic company that had been around forever 
in America. And, you know, they're rebuilding, and I wish them the best. I hope they do rebuild and, and emerge strong, but it's just been one train wreck after another, some of it management un- incompetence. How about Olivia, who says, My husband and I are ready to build our dream home, and we're trying to figure out the best way to finance it. Should we? All right, Joel, this is a multiple-choice option for you. So listen carefully. Should we, A, be patient and save up enough cash to buy land, then get a loan to build the house? B, sell our current house, use that cash to buy the land, and then rent somewhere else while we build? C, finance the land and the construction? Or D, none of the above? Sounds like she's <laughs> thought through her possibilities, at least. <laughs> just, yeah. Olivia, you've, you've analyzed this quite well and narrowed this down. So A was be patient, save up enough cash to buy the land, and I think it was get a loan to build the house. Um, B was sell the current house, use the cash to buy the land and rent somewhere else while we build. I kind of like that um, because I like the idea of not owning two homes right now. And depending on uh, how old you are, your appetite for risk, the closer to retirement or if you're in retirement, I'd be cautious about taking risk. I like the idea of selling one home first before buying another unless you're, you know, unless you have a, a lot of money invested and it doesn't matter that much for you. Finance the land and the construction. I don't see anything wrong with that either. None of the above. I think you've covered all the action, uh, options there. And it's basically, do we sell, you know, this can all kind of be narrowed down to, do I sell our, our house first or make sure we can sell our house before we build this home, maybe rent in the meantime, or do we go borrow money to build the home? And that really depends on your financial. And, you know, if you have $5 million saved and you're talking about a half a million dollar home, it's really kind of an irrelevant question. It's not that important which way you go. But if you have you know, $500,000 saved retirement and you're talking about a half a million dollar home, that's a major decision. You know, you should probably look at selling your current house before you make a commitment to another one. All right. One final question for you. This is David who says, I just turned 70 and I'm about to retire. I recently took a look at how much I'll have to start withdrawing from my IRAs and my 401k because I'm old and they're forcing me to start making withdrawals. Uh, between my social security and the money they're forcing me to take out, I'll have a higher income in retirement than I have right now while I'm working. Can they really make me withdraw that much? Yes, they can, uh, David. So what you're saying is you've done a good job saving money. You're going to have social security and you don't need as much income as the IRS is forcing you to take out of your IRAs and 401ks. You're going to turn 70 and a half. They're going to force you to take a certain amount out. You can't take less than what the required distribution is. That's why they call it a required minimum distribution. What you can do is do a financial plan. And if this is going to be the case ongoing, then you need to figure out a way to invest that excess. So let's say they take, they're forcing to take 50,000 out. You only need $25,000. After paying taxes, you might have 10 or 15,000 left. Well, is there a way you can replace the taxes that you lost so that in the future at some point you get back those taxes that you've lost or your family gets back those taxes that you lost? Absolutely. Uh, There are systematic ways to do that. Um, There are also ways to say, hey, this is going to get out of control. Let's start doing some Roth conversions now. So you pay tax maybe ahead of the point where you need to, but then the money becomes tax-free forever. And the longer you leave it alone, that could be a huge home run for you. So this comes back, David, to doing a good financial plan. Congratulations on saving more money than you need. That's fantastic. But now what you've done is you've created this tax time bomb that you've got to get a hold of with a plan. Don't just sit there and be a victim because these required minimum distributions are going to get bigger and bigger. And if you don't have a plan, you're going to leave hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars on the table in taxes that could have been replaced. So um, this is exactly, David, what our money map 
process does for you. Give us a call. Get your Money Map Retirement Review. We'll give you a map of where all your money is. It's nice and simple. It's great to look at, great to have a discussion with your spouse or family members about. You will have an income analysis that says how much money or what rate of return you need to earn to have your money last for the rest of your life. And then let's take a look at the risk you're taking because most people that visit with us from this radio program are taking more risk than they realize and more risk than they want to take. Nobody has pointed it out to them in real simple terms. So give us a call now, 1-800-705-1232. Come on in. It's not a cookie-cutter plan. It's designed for you and your family. 1-800-705-1232. Call in the next 15 minutes. Set up a time to visit. Call or text if that's easier. The important thing is that you reach out right now while it's on your mind. We'll connect with you later and find a time that fits your calendar for you to come in for your Money Map Retirement Review. 800-705-1232. That's 800-705-1232. For Joel Johnson and everybody at Johnson Brunetti, I'm John Stillman. You've been listening to Money Wisdom. Hope you have a great week. We'll talk with you next time right here, same time, same place. Money Wisdom is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti, investment advisory services offered through JB Capital LLC, a registered investment advisor. Johnson Brunetti is a paid sponsor of the Yukon Huskies athletic program.